Hey, this is Sean Mandoli, and I'm the pastor of Sanctuary LA, and you're listening to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this message encourages and inspires you. Remember to follow us on social media at My Sanctuary LA and enjoy the message. All right, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for um, this story, this man of God. Lord, we thank you for his legacy, even his son here ministering in this community as a result of his faith, result of his obedience. Thank you for the legacy that this man has and what he has done, not only in culture and in this literal community that we are having church in right now, the impact you have used in this man's life. Father, we just pray your blessing on this time as we just um, have a conversation and, and hear the story of what you have done and just even maybe just some things that can kind of enlighten us and to see into just the culture of this region and what's happened and what is happening. And and Lord, I just pray you bless this time as we get into your word, as we uh, talk about what you have done. And and we thank you for this, this moment here today, Father. We invite your Holy Spirit to come and to minister to hearts and minds. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. So we, I just wanted to say thank you for coming. It's an honor to have you here with us. Um, and so just wanted to jump in. We're, just so people that are visiting with us here, maybe for the first time, we're in, the, we're in the middle of a series this month called God, Race, and Culture. And my wife and I have taught and had conversations. We've answered some pretty hard questions. You can check out our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, when I mentioned the questions we answered to other people outside our community, they're like, whoa, you, you brought that in the church? Yep, show did. And uh, we talked about what the Bible says about that stuff, and it was a beautiful time. So it's just awesome to have you to come in and kind of close this out. And um, I asked Jacob, your son, if you would be willing to come and be with us. And just, I believe, it, it's just awesome to have you, but it's really in line with our series about God, race, and culture. And I, I thought this was a cool story here. So... So anyway, let's jump in. Where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And just maybe let's, let's go I back was, there. Uh, I was born at 1776 East 43rd Street. <laughs> Actually, just a little over 40 blocks from here. You go straight up Alameda, uh, 43rd Street. Uh, it's a neighborhood. It's an old established neighborhood called 38th Street. And uh, 38th Street was pretty notorious uh, in the late 40s. Uh, in fact, uh, some of you might be familiar with the uh, New York uh, Broadway play, Zoot Zoot. Zoot Zoot is actually a story that was derived from the Sleepy Lagoon incident. <laughs> uh, the Sleepy Lagoon uh, was just a few blocks away from where we live. My wife also grew up in South Central Los Angeles. She was born in the Florencia area. Those of you might be familiar with Florencia uh, area. And uh, uh, where the Alley River runs, uh, there's uh, a landmark there now called Farmer John. But before Farmer John, uh, that was just, uh, there was no cement banks on the Alley River. It was just uh, a muddy lagoon, uh, Lover's Lane, actually. And a young man from Downey, California, was, uh, was murdered there. And uh, the LAPD blamed it on the guys from 38th Street, which we've always believed that they didn't have anything to do with it. We think it was another guy from Downey, Huntington Park, or Southgate who was jealous. <laughs> and, uh, 
and he was murdered behind that. But that's the neighborhood that I grew up in. And you, you mentioned over the phone, we got to talk a little bit, um, that you were actually born in your house. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, and you mentioned something unique about the midwife. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, our neighbors, uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Will and Alma Pree. In fact, I think my dad named, he, named me after, after Mr. Pree. He was a very good friend of my dad's. And uh, the night I was born, Mrs. Pree was a midwife. Now, they were, they were a black family. Our neighborhood uh, kind of resembles the fabric of your church here. It was diverse. I mean, we had Germans, Irish, Filipinos, Japanese, uh, Orthodox Jews, Italians, you name it, Mexicans. Uh, that's what we grew up in. And Mrs. Pree was my, my, my mom's midwife. And uh, they were Methodists. And so the, the night I was born, Mrs. Pree actually asked my parents, could, could she pray for me? And she actually dedicated me to the Lord, June 13th, 1946. And, uh, you know, you're growing up, you hear stories, but it, I don't even think it went in one ear. A lot of the things I heard growing up didn't even go in one ear. It just sort of ricocheted, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I found out years later after I got saved, when I began to make inquiries about where I came from and what was it like uh, in my parents' estimation of me growing up, I learned a lot of things like that. So you grew up in a Catholic home, right? Yes. And how did that shape your worldview? Or, you know, just growing, did that have an impact on you growing up being in a Catholic environment? Yeah. And maybe what was that like? Well, traditionally, mm -hmm. uh, my parents, uh, my, my mom came from Fuerte Sinaloa, from Mexico. My dad was born in Douglas, Arizona. So traditionally and culturally, Catholicism was, you know, their way of life. It was part of, part of, and so, you know, <laughs> when, you're, when you're a young person, you really don't have any, any say in it, right? Uh, we were going to go to Catholic school, and that was it. And my dad, uh, a very hardworking man, and my mom, they did everything that they possibly could to instill, you know, morals, values, respect, you know, into our lives. And so uh, private school was something that they figured would help shape and mold our lives, uh, uh, you know, to, to grow up and do something worthwhile with our lives. Was it... Um in the in light of our series here, we had some real honest conversations the last couple of weeks just about race and racism. Mm -hmm. And so, would was it ever difficult as far as prejudice and racism is concerned? Growing up in the environment you grew up in as a Hispanic, and do you have it? You know, actually, uh, I didn't experience racism um, until I went to high school. I was fourteen years old because I kind of grew up. In a, we grew up colorblind. You know, I went to school on 34th and Central at St. Patrick's. And so uh, Central Avenue was, you know, our way home. Uh, Dolphins of Hollywood record store. So we grew up, you know, around, like I say, a, a diverse ethnicity. And so, you know, we never referred to anybody as Japanese or or black, or it was always Mr. or Mrs., whatever their surname was, and, and we never gave a thought. I mean, we knew, you know, 
they were Italian or, or Mexican or Philipp Japanese, whatever, but we never made reference to that growing up. Uh, it wasn't until I came to school in East Los Angeles uh, that I started experiencing almost like a reverse racism. Uh, the Chicanos uh, from, from East LA uh, always, not just me, but anybody who came up from an outside neighborhood uh, was looked down upon. And I came to East LA with a very heavy black accent, <laughs> you know? Growing up in South Central, came to yeah. East LA with a black you know, accent. I came to East that LA. is amazing. I didn't dress like the guys in right. East LA, you know? I mean, we were almost like surf. You know, surf was a big thing. Uh, and, and Ivy League, you know, very, you know, our parents always wanted us to dress correct, right? right? Even though you want to be what you grow up in, you know? But it was taboo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you wow. just didn't wear Frisco's or uh, what they called counties. Those were the, the jeans that uh, guys coming out of the county jail wore yeah, in the neighborhood, right? right? <laughs> and it gave them a, a point of identification. So you didn't wear those. How do you get a pair of those? <laughs> <laughs> I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I didn't realize that, that, you know, that they were making fun of me. Mm. You know, like, what's going on, blood? That's the way they would greet me, right? I said, oh, everything's everything, all right, you know? And then some of the guys in my, that I made friends, I'd befriended, they said, Willie, those guys are making fun of you, man. So my freshman year was chaotic. I was what a, school was, was that? Salesian High Salesian. School, just uh, not too far from here, 7th and Soto. And so I got in a lot of trouble, a lot of fights and arguments and trying to adjust my freshman year. Why did you come over here for school? Did you did y'all move or? No, no, we continued to live there. I wanted to go to Jefferson High School, mm -hmm. which was right on 41st and Compton Hooper, uh, because that's where Jesse Balvin went to school, uh, Tony Allen, mm -hmm. uh, 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 Esther Don Julian, Etta James. That's Etta where, James. Yeah, wow. that's where she went. She went to high school, and and so I wanted to go there because you know, I wanted to I wanted to be around the coolness of music wow. and rhythm and blues. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what yeah, rock and roll was Yeah, we see it in you when he's singing and stuff. My wife was like, man, I like the way he moves. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's beautiful. Uh, so the, I ended up at Salesian because uh, uh, my dad said, no, you're not going to go to Jeff. And I said, really? I said, I can walk to Jeff. And he says, well, that's why you're not going to go to Jefferson. You know, he says, you have two choices. You're either going to go to Cathedral, because that's where my oldest brother went to high school, or you're going to go to Salesian, because that's going to be your ride to school. That's going to be your ride to school and your ride home. Why didn't he want you to go to Jefferson? Uh, Catholic upbringing, once again. You know, he had worked hard, saved, and so he had prepared uh, for us to go to private school. And like I say, it was all part of, you know, I think secretly my mother wanted me to be a priest. I think secretly, you know. Uh, uh, it's and, a good mom. It's good. Well, she lived to find out that I was, that I actually became a priest. Look at that. He is a priest. A king and a priest. Hallelujah. <laughs> according right. to the word of God. So, but that's how, that's how I came uh, to Salesian because my brother Charlie uh, was going to be a junior. So that gave me two years of a ride. <laughs> right. And, uh. Uh, my brother was getting ready to graduate from cathedral, so that only would, would have been a year. And I didn't like cathedral anyway. You know, it was uptown, and um, 
uh, I didn't I didn't particularly care for Cathedral High School. Their politics, you know. <laughs> so this is like actually in essence, it's a destiny per se because that at Salesian, right? That is where you were exposed to the music program. Yeah. And, and all that. Do you want to explain maybe how you got involved in the music program in the high school and then... Yeah, to make yeah. a short story longer. Uh, <laughs> no, what happened is, like I say, I had, I had my problems as a freshman. Uh, my brother was a star athlete. Charlie was a star athlete at Salesian. And so uh, I never told anybody he was my brother because I wanted to stand on my own, right? But eventually guys started finding out that Charlie was... And they started leaving me alone because he was on the football team and he had friends and, and whatnot. So I, I started associating myself more with the athletic department at, at Salesian and hanging around with my brother. And uh, uh, what happened is I used to like to sing, you know, in, the, in the, the locker room and stuff like that while I was cleaning and, and whatnot. And uh, uh, people got, got wind of it. And one day... Uh, they could hear you in the locker room. They, well, they could hear me in the locker room and anywhere I had a chance in the back seat while we were driving home, I'd be singing. I always was singing. I shined shoes. I sold newspapers, sang on the street corner with Tony Allen and Don Julian. And, and, and they were my teachers, sort of my mentors. I used to shine their shoes at rehearsal so I'd get a, a lesson. Uh, but but uh, at Salesian High School, uh, this is where I met uh, Romeo Prado, who became the architect of uh, the Midnighter Sound. And uh, through meeting him, Johnny Gamboa, and some other musicians, uh, we actually formed a group that eventually became the Midnighters at Salesian High School. It's one of the best things I think could have happened to me as a young man. We had a great professor of music there, and he actually gave us a platform. Do you mind just maybe talking about a little bit like the, um, the cultural phenomenon of Chicano soul and... and why do you think it struck such a chord in that era? And we're talking the 60s at this point, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, going back to, to the 50s, uh, uh, Richie Valens, you know, uh, he put a traditional song uh, in the uh, homes and ears of people all over the world, La Bamba. Uh, he died in 1957. And... Uh, uh, there wasn't anybody to really carry his legacy. In fact, even today, there's this, this gap. Uh, we sort of call between Richie Valens and Carlos Santana. And so a lot of people, they miss what actually happened with a lot of the bands from that era. How many, how many years was that, Richie Valens to uh, Carlos Santana? Oh, man, I'd say maybe 30. Wow. Almost 30 years. So here, uh, as far as Richie Valens, for you as a young Hispanic male to grow up in that era and then you have an Hispanic mm -hmm. at the top of the charts like how was that for you you know seeing that like it oh, was yeah. the it, one person in the Hispanic community at that level of kind of pop culture yeah, that right? was, so uh, like what was that like? I was sort of like well my brother's age group but you know okay. we inherit you know our parents and our brother's record collections right so uh, it was exciting to see somebody that that looked like us, you know, and actually wasn't ashamed about his uh, background and where he came from. Uh, and even there was others that weren't so well-known, sort of like what we call uh, uh, under the radar, like Lalo Guerrero. 
right? Lalo Guerrero was like a, a pioneer and a forerunner. Uh, he's the godfather of, of, of Chicano music, really. Uh, he had uh, 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 his own uh, club here on uh, Brooklyn and uh, Eastern called Lalo's. And so all these guys kind of contributed to this proud, you know, this pride uh, of music, plus the mariachis growing up, you know, uh, uh, in our homes, listening to the greats, Javier Solis, uh, Lola Bertran, uh, the mariachi uh, Vargas, uh, Javier Solis I mentioned, amen. Uh, all these guys were like, th that we knew, but we never really got to see them out you know, the media. Uh, we were more exposed to Spade Cooley. <laughs> Spade Cooley was a country and western. He's dropping all these names. I'm like, man, I need to YouTube oh, you this. You can Google this stuff. <laughs> Help a brother out. Because <laughs> believe it or not, we were all influenced. Even they were influenced by Mexican music, you know? And so, but it never quite crossed over, if you will. Amen. But these guys were like on the radio already and on television and uh, this was an exciting thing for us because we look at that and say, look, at, there's hope. We could do this, right? And it, it kept me out of the gangs. I'm going to tell you right now. The, the, the 38th Street would not let me join, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, they, wouldn't, they, they wouldn't let me get high with them. You know, they, they just was tell me to, you know, go on, get out of here, you know? Why do you, why do you think that is? Why because they, they saw, saw the talent. No. They saw that I had... A gift they saw. My brother first saw it. He's the one that first started cultivating it in me. Uh, and they said, you have a chance to get out of all this. Right? And, you know, you're, I was, I was what, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, hearing, no, don't do this. When inside, that's what you want to be. You want to be cool. You know, you want to stand in the circle, you know, as they pass the, the joint, you know. You know, and and so it wasn't until afterwards, you know, that that I, I, success, uh, became my motivation, and it also became my addiction. What would you say, um, like, in our series this month, we we had this one statement. We kind of kept saying how culture is something to celebrate, something to honor, mm -hmm. something to enjoy. It's things we can enjoy. Like you look around this room, like you mentioned, it's so awesome that we can enjoy each other's culture and celebrate that. So what would you say is something, you might have shared some of this about your culture that you would say, man, I just love this about my, there might be a lot of things, but anything in particular that you say, man, I just love this about my culture. Yeah. Uh, one the vibrancy, mm -hmm. right, of family. Mm -hmm. Our culture has this thing, you know, we're huggers, right. you know, we're kissers. Yeah. Uh, so there's that love, yeah. that, that family atmosphere that's created yeah. in it. And then it's, it's full of joy. Yeah. The songs, the music, even, even if it's, even if it's a, a, a sad song, yeah. you know, they have a way of communicating it uh, that, you know, it's part of the process of living. You're going to go through one of these emotions eventually. So you just embrace it, you know, and, and, and it's, it's an adult experience, to tell you the truth, you know, growing up like that. And so our culture is very much like that. It's uh, very supportive, you know, and uh, it rejoices when, when somebody's victorious. You know, you look at it and you go, yeah, you know, we celebrate that. We celebrate 
another person's success. That's awesome. That's awesome. So make sure, uh, white folks, uh, make sure you got some Hispanics around you help you out. So you get some hugs and some kisses in there. White folks are like, so nice to meet you. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody say amen. We, we, we can learn and celebrate that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, when we were on the phone, you said something pretty profound, and I wrote it down as a question, but because um, I, I was sharing with you the series, and you were mentioning, yeah, mm -hmm. there's certain things in culture, yeah. my culture, that kept me from the truth. Yeah. Um, so what, you know, what is something maybe in culture that you, coming up, because you, sure. all the beautiful things of your past, and then yeah. there came a point where you encountered Jesus, and your life literally changed, and we'll yeah. get to that, but what well, is here, something maybe here's, that kept you? Here's yeah. the thing, I mean, uh, anytime anyone started coming around me to share their faith with me, I'd listen, you know, I was polite, but as soon as they started mentioning Jesus and and this, we had some things in common, but uh, I became a Catholic all of a sudden, right? It was a defense mechanism. And, and it was a defense mechanism, and also, it, it's kind of it's strange because guys that I grew up with, you know, would be around listening to uh, these new converts that would come around to infiltrate the, the group, right? And, and they, they'd be going, man, that guy can't tell really nothing about God, man. He went to Catholic school for 12 years. What are they going to tell him about God? Right? That was the mindset. Right? So it kept and you from the truth. It, and it did because I, I would get defensive and right away I would shut them off. And, uh, but God's word never returns void. You know, the Bible says that the word of God is alive. Yeah. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword that it penetrates to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So anytime these guys would come around and they would drop God's word, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I had no idea mm -hmm. what it was doing to me, you know? And uh, as I struggled with my addictions and and the unfulfillment of the music world and, and fleeting success, right? Yeah. Uh, and trying to find my, my, my niche once again, you know? I, I actually reached a point in my life where, where I said, you know, I believe that when God created us, he created us intentionally to be miserable without him. That is good. If you're taking notes, write that down. And Do you mind saying that one more time? Yes. It's beautiful. I believe with all my heart that when God created us, he created us intentionally to be miserable without him. Wow. He made absolutely sure that nothing or no one could take yeah, his rightful place in our lives. And we can try to fill it with success yeah. or with cars or, or with, 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 with sex or whatever. And we'll all, it's just temporary. Yeah. Right? That's the devil gives us pieces. He gives us a piece of this, a piece of that, a piece of the other. But only Jesus can give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. See where that grandma blow will run out, or you know that uh, we're always looking for change, right? I used to hear guys in the neighborhood and in the youth authority say, "I want to change, but I don't know how," right? I mean, and I say we're limited by our vocabulary, you know, and and so change. Uh, it's a good word, right? But it has no place in the kingdom of God, right? Because Jack Daniels will change you. Yeah, that's true. 
right? Anybody been changed by Jack a time or two? Come on. Yeah. And, Thank and you, you can, Jesus. Yeah, you can add a catalog of other things yeah. that'll change you, right? Fill in the but, blank. But only Jesus can transform you, see? And with that transformation, you know, you begin to experience that what he has for you isn't temporary. It's from everlasting to everlasting. I, I stay high all the time now, Pastor. I'm high all the time Preach. now. Because I have the most high. That's right. Can I get a shout? Come on, somebody. And an amen somewhere. <laughs> That's beautiful. Do you mind? I know it, it's, it's a really cool story. I've, I've looked it up, actually, just your, how you uh, had an encounter with Jesus and got born again. Um, do you mind sharing that? And I just had one more question after yeah. that and let you no, cool. sing a song. Anybody want little Willie G to sing one more? Yeah. So, so, so here I am. I'm messed up. Uh, I'm, I'm actually living off of my wife. Uh, my precious wife is here. We're going to be celebrating 46 years. 46 years. Come on, give it up. So, like I say, I'm trying to change, right? Because we have, we have children now. We have two, two young daughters. And I'm trying to change. You know, a, a, a man has, he, he has to be different around, around girls. Right? So I'm, I'm trying to, my wife's working at Capitol Records for Kenny Rogers. Anybody who ever heard of Kenny Rogers? My wife was uh, uh, working for him at Capitol Records. And so I, take her, I would take her to work. And, and one morning I came home after taking her to work. And I put the key in the, in the door. And I opened the door, but I couldn't go in. It was really strange. I, I just I couldn't go in. And I looked into the house, and I saw all the, the trappings of success. Gold records, Grammy nominations, uh, material things, right? And I, I started like just kind of admiring how far I've come. And then I saw where I was at. And the devil, when you're oppressed and you're down, the devil will take advantage of that. And, and, and I could hear the devil just like when you have on headphones. He goes, see, you've had it all. You've experienced it all. You know the only thing left for you to experience, Willie G? And I went, what? And he said, Death. And I walked in the house. And that thought just lingered there, man. And so I started buying into it. And I went to my stash. I got four grams of heroin, put it on the tray with all, everything. And I was trying to get the courage to cook it and just bail out. And in the midst of that, I began to discover that I really didn't want to die. Nobody wants to die. And so I started reaching deep to see if there was anything I might have done in my life that was notable and worthwhile. And all I saw was the tragedy and the chaos and the madness that I had been a contributor to. The devil's like that. He'll never let you see the silver lining. He will never let you see the light that's at the end of the trouble, at, at the tunnel, because he's a liar. You know, and he's a father of lies. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. And he had, he had stolen every cent I had made. He destroyed every friendship, every business venture. He was trying to destroy my marriage, right? And ultimately, he was trying to kill me. See, I, didn't know, I didn't know this. You know, I didn't know scripture like this then. And then I just, man, 
there's got to be something. And my phone started ringing. We didn't have answering machines or, or anything. This is just one of those dial phones. And, and, and so I thought, oh, it'll, it'll ring three, four times. They'll think I'm not home. That phone kept on ringing and ringing and ringing. Finally, I got up and I went over and I answered it. Hello? He said it smooth like that, too. I, I did. Just like, you know, I had become a liar. You know, people paid me a large amounts of money to entertain them and get their minds off of their problems and, and their sin. Right? And so it was easy for me. Hello. And I just answered it like there was nothing wrong. And at the end of the... On the other end of that line was my good friend. I went to high school with him, played in bands with him, Tony Garcia. And he uh, asked me a question. He goes, Willie, you're home. How are you? And I began to lie. The interesting thing was, is he let me exhaust my vocabulary. Show business, nobody, they'll ask you how you're doing, but they can't wait to interrupt you so that they can begin to tell you how good they're doing very competitive and, and that and this was odd that this guy would let me talk you know and finish and eventually he just said man I've been thinking about you, you know? and uh, I wanted to invite you to hear my band we're doing television shows uh, and they're being aired throughout Central uh, and South America and so my antenna went up because I was an opportunist you know, show business tells you opportunity never knocks twice. But I want you to know that Jesus is always knocking at the door of your heart that you might hear his voice and let him in. And that was the beginning. I agreed. I agreed to meet him. I forgot about taking my life, right? I still got down, but <laughs> I, I forgot. A, I'm just telling you, you know, and, and I met him. I agreed to meet him. I went with him. I ended up at TBN. That's hilarious. You know. I mean, it's awesome. It's beautiful. You just got high and you're at TBN. Well, no, no. This was the following day. But I oh, went following high. day. Oh, following day. Got it. I Huge went high. difference. I, I got my wake up. I'll tell you the truth. I got my wake up. And I went and met oh, him at beautiful. 530 in the morning, you know, which is usually when I was getting home, honey. <laughs> I said, 530 in the morning. So. Anyway, I ended up there, and I'm trying to be cool because I'm not, you know, I'm trying to get a job with these guys. And uh, I'm, I'm driving the van, and I'm looking in the window, and I I'm see who's going to pull out a little eye opener or something, you know? And they're just back there peeling oranges and, and, and talking current events. Like, already, they're talking. I said, man, these guys already read the paper. And, and the guys in the back, all of a sudden, you know, I look in the mirror and they have their hands stretched out and they're going oh, and I'm like going like and my palms started sweating and I'm looking at Tony right and, I, and he's like going it's alright they're alright you know <laughs> and I, I didn't know what to do I got so uncomfortable that I said and you know and that and they started cracking up for two weeks just brief and brief for two weeks I went with these guys uh, to TBN I thought Huggy Boy was I thought he was a well-known DJ here in East LA I thought before before Paul and Jan Crouch bought Channel 40 
this DJ named Huggy Boy owned that station. So when I saw TBN Channel 40, I didn't think anything about the cross. I, I Huggy Boy, oh, perfect, man. I, I'll, uh, man, I can squeeze another year out of my career with this guy, right? And I got there, and it was like nothing I ever experienced in my life. Two weeks later, um, I'm being invited after not being invited to sing on the TV show. These guys are inviting me to a prison camp, right? And I told them I'd go with them if they would let me sing. And of course, Tony said, of course, bring your charts, right? So I got my charts together and ended up with them at Camp Afflerball. It's a, a, a prison camp up here in the San Dimas Mountains. And uh, I went with them, and uh, it was there that uh, I experienced the presence and the Spirit of God in an overwhelming fashion. The moment that they got in a circle and began to pray, I said, oh, man, that's going to be like that TV show. <laughs> and so wow. I went and sat way in the back of the auditorium where nothing they said or did would have any effect on me. Well, it's one of the things I regretted the most because as it went on, I wanted to get out of there. And there was only one door, and that was left of the stage right there. There was double doors like that, you know, which was about a 50-yard walk, Right? And I started regretting that I sat in the back. And I tried to escape once. I tried to get out once. And I ended up coming back inside because Tony went after me. And when we came back inside into the auditorium, uh, the 70 prisoners that were in the auditorium, uh, 66 of them were up standing around the preacher with their hands raised. And some of them were... Yes, they had, some of them had joy on their face. Some of them were weeping, you know. And I'm looking at this, and I, I tell Tony, what happened? He says, oh, the preacher made an altar call. And I said, what's an altar call? And he said, they're going to ask Jesus to be their partner in life. Well, I'd never heard that term before, right? And so I started, I said, man, I could use a partner. I need a friend like that, you know. Something started happening to me, and I don't remember this. Tony explained it to me. He said that when he turned around, he saw me walking through the auditorium towards the preacher. And I walked up there and I just reached a point and I started looking around and I started experiencing that these guys who were prisoners had more joy than I ever had in my life. I could just feel it. I looked at them and I said, you know, they have a sense of peace that I've been searching for all my life, you know? And, and uh, all of a sudden, I just said, God, and it seemed like I was screaming. I said, God, if you're real, Jesus, if you're real, do it for me. But don't chop me off. I need to know that you're real, and I need to know now. And in that moment, it was enough for God. I didn't even know I was praying. But God understands the cry of our heart. And in that moment, the Spirit of God just swept over me. And I began to weep, and I began to just empty myself of, of me. That's powerful. Come on, guys. Give God praise for that. Um, all right. I just had... You guys enjoying this? It's powerful. It's just good just to sit and listen to people uh, like Little Willie G, just the maturity, the years, the history with God. Um, sometimes it's just good to sit, listen, and... 
and receive. Amen? And so I just had one more question for you, um, and then we'll um, have you sing a song, and uh, Little Willie is going to pray and all, and all that. And But the last question I had, unless you obviously had anything else you wanted to share, is if there was one thing you could tell young people, um, what would that be? If you could tell, share one thing, even with the young folks in here, because everybody in here is young in the Lord. Yeah. Amen. No, but really, like, what, what is something that as young people could just sit and, and you could say one thing to them? Uh, what would that be? Make Jesus the Lord of your life. It'll, it'll save you from a lot of pain in the future. Uh, I get asked that all the time. You know, if you could do anything differently, what would it be? I, was, I would have accepted Christ at a younger age. I would, have, I would have spared my parents a lot of agony and sleepless nights had I given my life to the Lord. And so that's paramount. You want to do something with your life? What have you got to lose? You can't live off of my experience. You can't live off of my testimony. I wish you could. But what I can encourage you to do, right there where you're at, is to mm, taste and see that the Lord is good. You got to do this for yourself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, the woman, the boy or girl who puts their trust in him. You want to be blessed? Trust God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't forsake the, the, the conviction and the wooing of the Holy Spirit that's in this place this morning. God has so much more in store for you. I want to experience, you know, I tell people when they say, don't you miss it? Don't you miss the trappings? of No, I don't miss it. The devil can have what he stole from me. I'm more interested in what God has prepared for me yes. before the foundations yes. of the universe. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking over my shoulder. I'm not living in the rearview mirror. I'm looking Godward. Amen. I, I purpose in my, my heart to aim at and pursue the high call of God in Christ Jesus. And in and through that, as Paul said, though I'm a free man, I've become all things to all men. Amen. That I might win some for the glory and honor of God. And so we adapt. Whatever environment you're in, trust God. Sister, you said it. The steps of a righteous person are ordered of God. That's, that's, my wife is here. My kids are here. That's one of my favorite words in, in, in the kingdom of God. Righteous. Right? Because it symbolizes to us, it's a truth that we have right standing with God. It isn't a word we just flippantly throw out. And how you feeling, Holmes? Righteous. No. <laughs> At high cost to God. Let me Preach, say this. At high cost to God, we have the liberty and the joy to say, I'm righteous today. Because he made him who knew no sin to become righteousness for us. Amen. That we might become the righteous. He made he who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in and through him. High cost to God. That's awesome. High cost. Come on, let's give it up for a little Willie G here. Thank you for listening to the message. If you've been encouraged and inspired, give us a great review and share it with a friend today. Also, if you're ever in the LA area, join us for one of our powerful weekend gatherings. For more info and directions, follow us 
at my sanctuary LA. Be blessed.